Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is financial advisor Jody Lynn Craven. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And I'm especially happy because we're recording this on Wednesday, which means I get to have conversations with my good friend Jody Lynn. And Jody Lynn, you know, I look forward to Wednesday. So how you doing? You're looking good. You're looking happy. Thank you. I so look forward to Wednesday as well. Our conversations are always so amazing. They are. And we explore all kinds of stuff. And we are not going to be making an exception on that today because today we're doing something a little different. We're going to be talking <laughs> with a certified sex therapist. Okay, now, Debbie, Debbie, if, you're, if you're tuning in right now, I'm not yet blushing, but I'm sure if you were here, you could make me work on that. Okay, so just getting that out of the way. But uh, her name is Heather Shannon, and uh, she has a very interesting story. She has a very interesting approach to her whole field, to her craft, because she is so positive in everything that she writes about what she does. That alone caught my attention when I saw her profile. And I figured, well, I'm a sex therapist. That, that's that got to be interesting no matter how you look at it. So, <laughs> so, Heather, thank you for joining us on the program. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Walt and Jody. And you're right. There's never a dull day being a sex therapist. I'm sure. I, yeah. I like it that way. Yeah. If Debbie G, who does the Friday shows with me, were here, she would be instantly jumping in with some kind of line just for the purpose of making me blush, just to see if she could okay. do it. And she, One and she here then. <laughs> Five to ten seconds. You know, she's really quick with it. Okay. I love her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, this is interesting. Uh, sex therapist is the first on this show. We've done a lot of episodes, never one about sex therapy. So All right. I, I'm, well, I'm gonna, excited. I'm just going to let you, I'm going to turn the mic over to you for a second just to kind of clue us in. What is this really all about? You know, get, we'll get the perverts off the stage for the moment. We'll just kind of talk about what's this really all about. Yeah, I appreciate that because I get that question a lot. People are like, what do you do? <laughs> you know, what, what is a sex therapist even? So, um, so I'm a licensed mental health clinician. So I'll start with that. Okay. And I've chosen to specialize in sex therapy. So, you know, when I first started my private practice, people love to talk about the relationship. So even though I was kind of aiming at people with, you know, anxiety and people with addictive compulsive tendencies, Everyone who came in would talk about the relationships. And I had a few like kind of brave souls, I would say, who talked about, you know, sexual trauma related to addiction mm. and who explored gender identity and sexual orientation and fetishes. And what I realized was there's just not a lot of safe spaces to talk really openly about this with someone mm -hmm. who's not going to be judgmental, with someone who has any sort of knowledge about these things and can kind of help you know, like, are you on the right track? Are you being healthy? You know, like what really will work for you in your sex life and your identity, really? Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, I also have another question I've, I've been burning to ask you for the last couple of days because my <laughs> okay. Monday... My Monday co-host, one of my co-hosts on Monday is Louis uh, D'Souza, and Louis is an avowed nudist. He loves being a nudist. Oh, how interesting. And so, you know, he's made it very, very clear nudism has nothing to do with sex. I totally buy into what he's saying. Uh, but nevertheless, the question kind of automatically percolates to the top anyway. So, Absolutely. So, you know, as a certified sex therapist, when you think about nudism, what do you think about? How does that tie in in any way at all with what you do? I mean, I feel like there's maybe more than one type of nudist. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, yeah, because I mean, so I think like your friend and co-host, for him, he's saying it's not sexual. And I can absolutely see there being just sort of like the freedom mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. of kind of being naked and be feeling kind of free and like this is my natural state and I'm just going to like walk around and not worry about it. Um, and I think there's definitely people who are maybe more on the exhibitionist side with mm. how they approach nudism or like, you know, hey, part of the kink community, let's go to the nude beach and, you know, get kind of frisky or show ourselves off. So I think would those people be straight up nudists? Maybe not. But are they going to participate? Think the nudists, you from know? what I understand, I don't think the nudists would even accept them, to be perfectly honest. Right. That's what I'm saying. So it's like yeah. they might go to a nude beach or they might go to right. like a nudist place, but they're, you know, there's a different vibe to it. So I think what your friend is describing is probably is genuinely not very sexual. He, he lives in the UK. Uh, his wife is of Austrian heritage and they hmm. go to Austria every year for both winter's uh, ski and for summer vacations. They took a, a holiday just a few weeks ago. And while he was there, apparently they went to, or he went to, I'm not sure if they both go. He went to some, uh, I'll call it a health club. I don't even know what kind of club it was, okay. but it was for nudists. And Interesting. He, he walks into this one, apparently they have all these different facilities, different rooms and so forth. He goes into this one room and he sits down. He, he doesn't even think about what's going on or anything like that. And he feels like people are looking at him. He looks up and he sees the entire room is full of women. He says, oh, is this women only? And they say, no, no, no. If, if it had been, we would have let you know. <laughs> so, Interesting. <I'm, laughs> so, you know. Huh. Well, it sounds like an interesting, it sounds like an interesting experience. I haven't worked with people who are more on the nudist side of things. Mm-hmm. I also wonder if they're just so comfortable with themselves that he maybe talks they about don't that a lot. Yeah, maybe yeah. they don't need as much sex therapy. Who knows? It, it, well, I don't think sex mm-hmm. therapy really comes into it for them. I, I think in some ways from the way Louie was describing it for them, it's more like this is the natural way we are. Right. And, and for him, it's freeing just to kind mm-hmm. of totally you know, be in that place. Yeah. I, it reminds me of like little children who like, don't like to wear clothes, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of like, why do I have to wear this? This is confining and restrictive and you know, yeah. like, let's, get this away okay well good i got that one off off my plate so that's good (laughs) Good. okay (laughs) so let's go let's go back to more about what you do because i i don't think you spend a whole lot of time in nudist colonies so we'll we'll, i don't (laughs) (laughs) me neither by the way oh you don't either okay well well jody lives in canada so it's even more understandable because i mean it's cold oh my god that's what my thought is like it'd be hard to be a nudist i live in florida and there are some nudist places here in florida because it's warm all year yeah okay right makes sense all right you gotta get creative in canada i guess (laughs) lots of heaters i don't know like how you would make that work yeah (laughs) expensive electric bill yeah. Send your emails too. So Heather, <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit more about what you're doing when you're, when you're working with people. What, what, yeah. like if you get a client who comes in, I would imagine I'm, I'm going to just guess from my own perspective. I imagine the first part of what you do is just help them be at ease. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Because a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't, you know, I haven't done this before. I don't normally talk about this stuff very openly. And luckily I do. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, I, well, I you have, I mean, day, so, you know, you yeah. have to be relaxed. You kind of have to be I mean, like right, pretty it's comfortable. Like, well, it's, it's but required. I, I really enjoy making people feel comfortable. And so I, I think that, you know, I'm pretty casual. I'm pretty relatable. It's, um, it's not salacious and it's also not super clinical. It's just kind of like, talking to a friend who happens to be more educated and objective. 
okay. <laughs> that's kind of how I look at it. Um, and you know, for some, for some people, I will share a little bit more about myself or my history too, to help them feel more comfortable. Um, cause it can also just feel so vulnerable, um, with mm. it being one-sided. So occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll share a little bit about my journey. Um, and, and also I think people will realize that I'm comfortable and they're like, Oh, okay. This actually is, I can say sex. I can say, mm. you know, body parts. I can say sexual acts, you know, cause I think sometimes mm. there's like, how much do I say? I'm supposed to be like polite. Mm. So sometimes people come in and they're still sort of in their like polite society, mode and you know i'm kind of like you know we this is a safe space to just like actually talk freely and explore what you need to explore and to not let the language you know or the fear of saying certain things get in the way of that so i, I try to model that for people too that makes sense now, um also i i'm wondering about how this works generationally like i i'm oh. late baby boom generation which basically means we we're just totally messed up and uh <laughs> I, I, I was I was this is a at, good topic actually. <laughs> it is because <laughs> I noticed some different patterns with different uh, ages. Yeah, I would love to hear that. Like, yeah. well, that's kind of what I'm asking about because I, at at the time of the, of the uh, '60s sexual revolution, I was prepubescent mm. at that point. So I was okay. it was it was really before I knew what was happening. But I was officially part of the baby boom generation, so kind of like the tail end, so yeah. to speak. So. Uh, what, what I do know is that when I got older and learned more about what was going on with the sexual revolution, I was just as confused as everybody else was <laughs> and messed up as everybody else was. And, yeah. and to be honest, I, I knew nobody who really felt good about the sexual revolution amongst people I knew. There were people who would you know, get excited. They'd get excited, you know, all sexually excited and so forth. But in terms of feeling comfortable with it, I, I can't remember a single conversation I had with anybody that yep. was comfortable about sex in that era. So I, I will volunteer that the baby boomers among point. the people who are alive today are the most messed up. But I'm kind of curious to know about <laughs> the other generations. I mean, okay, so I do think there's differences. But I also think there's a lot of similarities, you know. So... Um, one of the topics that I'm passionate about is I think helping, uh, women or people with, you know, vulvas to feel more comfortable with their body. And I've had clients, you know, in their sixties in the baby boomer generation, but then also in their twenties who feel like, uh, like, I don't know, I don't want to touch myself. I don't really even like talking about my genitals. Like, you know, like you'll notice it's difficult to say the words or sometimes I'll recommend, you know, masturbation for people as a way to kind of figure out how do you discover, you know, what works for you and to be able to communicate that with a partner. And often when you're by yourself is a great opportunity because, I mean, ideally you're not judging yourself, but that's usually something we have to work through. Well, that's one of the reasons you end up in therapy, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where you know sometimes it's like oh, i'm in my head you know or like i'm thinking about my to-do list and I'm, it's hard to get in the mood and so i do think masturbation allows a little bit more of a safe space but the reactions i get from people you know most people who hire a sex therapist probably are comfortable enough but there's definitely a good chunk of people of all ages but i will say the baby boomer generation um and you know I've also talked to my parents about sex, which is a little bit weird. Uh, that, they're not, that would be a lot weird, yeah. They're not yeah. together anymore, but um, that helps make it less weird. <laughs> but <laughs> like, the, I don't know why that would just feel much weirder if they were still together. But um, you know, I very much believe like I 
I want to be sexual when I'm older, you know, but I've, I've worked with clients even in their fifties who are kind of like, well, you know, we're past childbearing years and we kind of were brought up to think that like sex is for procreation, you know? And so then they kind of almost like shut it off, shut down sexually. Um, and then I think baby boomers just don't talk about anything. Right. And so that's what I kind of see with like my mom. And I was, um, I uh, actually taught my mom and some of the friends in her building how to meditate. And so they, two years later, they have a group going still, which is amazing. So I was visiting the group. I was, you know, hanging out with them and we went to dinner afterwards. And so I was talking with her and a couple other people in her age range. Um, And it was, it was so interesting to hear uh, just what the perspective is, you know, Mm. and uh, my mom and I try not to overshare with the details. And who's but, the Hess is that? I'm curious. Uh, yeah, she's always like, Heather, I don't need to know. I'm like, Mom, you're uh, the one it. who oversharers. Let's be clear. Okay. Got it. I'm yes. like, I'm not oversharing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so we have kind of a joke going with that. But, you know, talking to her friends, you're just kind of like, people don't talk about this. People have yeah. sex. They take their clothes off. They do very vulnerable things. As long as they don't talk about it, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Which I find fascinating. Um, yeah. so that's, that's kind of the biggest difference I probably see is there's kind of like a, let's just not talk about it vibe with the boomers. Whereas with like the 20 somethings, they might have very similar issues to be honest, but they're probably more likely to communicate about it. Mm. So do you also find that there is a difference between men and women? Um, yes. are there their issues or, you know, yes and no, that's a good yeah. question, Jody. Um, yeah. Uh, I do think just like the way we're socialized gender wise plays a big role. And I don't really have a lot of male clients that are as uncomfortable with their genitals. Um, and so I think that's something that I see much more with females where it's kind of like even getting your period or something, you know, I think it's like, ew, gross, blood, ew. Like it's, and I also think having more of an internal Genitalia is not as, is not as observable, you know, yeah. it's like if, if you have a penis, it's just there, <laughs> you know, like you Hangs can out. see it, you can see it, you, you look at it every time you go to the bathroom probably, you know, whereas if you have, a, actually, I don't believe it or not. I just, it's just kind of, I guess you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know, but yeah, yeah but you, I'm assuming you at least touch it or something, right? Well, yeah, whereas, but I mean, it's yeah. not like I do inspections or anything. Fair. That's fair. But, you know, there's actually a huge number of people with a vulva that don't, have never looked at it. Mm. Literally, like never. Which I think is, yes, really. And so there's kind of like an aversion to touching. There's an aversion to Mm. looking at it. There's a feeling of gross. Like, I don't know. I feel weird. It's gross. So that's a big difference that I see. And I'm not saying men don't have issues with their penises, you know, I mean, a lot of times, right. They have different issues. (laughs) They might generally men are like, ah, it's, you know, it's not big enough. Right. It's kind of the main one. Um, so that's kind of, or it's not erect enough, I guess would Mm -hmm. be the, the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a difference, but then sadly, one of the commonalities is just body image across the board. Yeah. I actually think that's become much more equal opportunity. Really? Uh, phrase. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We're all messed up in this boat. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, cause 
body image stuff comes up a lot when you're getting naked. Um, so that's, you know, an area I'm passionate about, but it takes pleasure away from everybody. And I'm kind of like, why have we done this to ourselves as Mm -hmm. a society? Um, and so I'm very passionate about like, let's just accept where we're at. Let's say kind things to our body and let's stop expecting it to, you know, look like some version of perfection that, you know, we've been taught. And so I, again, it's different things where men maybe feel like, oh, I'm too skinny or I should have more muscles or I'm too chubby or I'm balding or my penis is too small. And, you know, um, people who identify as women might feel more like, you know, I'm too fat or I don't have enough curves or, you know, my skin is, you know, saggy or, you know, whatever aging issues and stuff. Although you have that dimple right on my butt. Yeah. There's a cellulite, you know, so it's like, there's this whole, there's, there's the stretch marks from pregnancy, you know? So there's this laundry list of like things that we're not accepting about ourselves. And then, and then we bring that into the bedroom and then talk about it to our partner about how unattractive we are. While we're doing it. While we're trying to have sex and be intimate and vulnerable. Yeah. So it's like, I think everyone listening <laughs> knows how well this goes. Yeah. You know, uh, but certainly I've been, I was actually, I'm single. So I was on Bumble swiping a little bit yesterday and I like matched with this cute guy and I'm like, oh, and I looked a little closer at his photo and he had like blurred out his forehead wrinkles and his oh. under eye wrinkles. Wow. And so I also think it's fascinating with filters and I'm like, you know, it's like, I don't blame people. But you just kind of realize, like, we're sending ourselves these messages that, like, we're not okay as we are. Um, So I'm just going to, like, go put my, like, crow's feet and, you know, sagging whatever on camera more. I think, <laughs> I think that's going to be my solution. Well, well let's be honest. We, we are rough on ourselves in every area of our lives. It's not I know. just body image. It's, like, everything. Mm-hmm. It, it, we, it, one of my favorite ways of expressing it is if we treated our best friend the way we treated ourselves, we wouldn't have a best friend. We would have no friends. Absolutely. We'd have no friends at all. Zero. It'd be ridiculous. We're so mean to ourselves. It's so cruelty. mean. I think, yeah, I think I'm just starting to learn how to be nicer to myself and I do this for a living. So I do want to let people know it's okay. Just like be where you're at in your journey, but like Mm. maybe pick one area where you're going to like actively start saying nicer things or like when you start saying like, oh my God, my stomach is huge, you know, to kind of be like, what if I just say like, oh, hey there, tummy. One of the things I do is talk to my body parts and I actually find that to be extremely helpful, you Mm. know, and I'll be like, stomach, I'm sorry. I've been like a real jerk to you. You know, one of the methods that I work with people on is called internal family systems. And so you do like some parts work, but it can also it can be sort of more of a metaphorical part um, of your body or energetic system. So it can kind of be like an anxious part or it can be an inner child part or an inner critic part. But it can also be like a literal body part. You know, and so I have clients who do this kind of parts work, you know, with their genitals, with their stomach, with their heart, you know, everything that kind of shows up in our uh, intimate relationships. Mm. That was one of the hardest things I like exercises I was ever given by a coach is like, Mm. look at yourself in the mirror naked and say, I love you Mm. to all of the parts. That was really hard. Did you do it? Yes, I did it. I did it. it it. It changed it changed forever the way that I see my body and the way that I treat it because I, I was being an AH to 
every part of me like that I yeah. thought was imperfect. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a very powerful exercise and it was very difficult to get the words out for places like, it is. you know, I'm like, Oh, my arms. Yeah. My shoulders. They're nice. I love you. Great. Right. Whatever, that right? was okay. But like, more neutral. Yeah. You know, as your body changes, like I'm 37 now and you know, my body does not look naked the way that it did when I was 20. Right. And you know, so looking at it again, and I think I, you guys were talking about nudist colonies and I was blushing, like, <laughs> oh my God, being naked in front of anybody else but my husband, like even by myself, I wouldn't, wouldn't do it. Oh God, there's a mirror. <laughs> like, you know, it's just not, I'm more conservative than that, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I haven't asked Louie about that. I'm curious to know if they have mirrors in nudist colonies. I don't oh, even know. Interesting. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I know. wish Louie were here. That would be yeah. so yeah. interesting. Oh, he'd be that giving be a completely different take on this. I, no. Oh yeah. Next time. <laughs> Next time. But yeah, yes. but the body image is fascinating, you know, and I've certainly been, I, I now don't make any negative comments about my body. Certainly not while I'm naked with somebody. Um, yeah. but that's just a no go. I just don't ever do that. I'm just like, why would I ever do that? Right. So I, th- I think even for people listening to like, just make, what if you just make a decision now? Like, oh yeah, that makes me feel like crap. It kind of takes away the other person's pleasure too. Mm-hmm. And then we're probably both more in our heads. And then we were both also just bringing in more negativity. So like, what if mm-hmm. we just don't do that anymore? And the reality is that in that moment, when I've had somebody else say that to me, like, oh, this or whatever, like when my husband's like, oh, I'm chubby or, yes. you know, like, turn off the lights or whatever. I wasn't even in the realm of thought. That I know. Like, I, oh, like what? Huh? Like I, what are you same. talking about? I wasn't yes. even looking at that part or I wasn't seeing things the yep. same, same way. I wasn't yep. looking at him and being like, Oh yeah, you need to lose a couple pounds. That was not even in right. the realm of thought right. of where we were. Cause right. I don't, and I don't see him that way. That's my experience too is like, I don't make those comments ever anymore in those situations, but the last two partners I have been with have both said negative things about their body and it just, it, kind of kills my joy because I was yeah. kind of like, oh, I was trying to focus on what I like about you. I'm like, I'm attracted to you. And it's yeah. almost like, are you criticizing my taste? Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you know, bad taste. <laughs> and I mean, I've, I had a, a male client years ago and I think, I don't know if he had met his girlfriend at the gym or something like that, but she, I think she had gained some weight and he didn't really care, but she kept pointing it out and kept pointing it out and kept pointing it out. And eventually he did start kind of questioning his attraction. So it's like, mm. are we trying to talk people out of being attracted to us? If so, keep going. But I don't think <laughs> we are. I don't think that's the intention. <laughs> I don't think no. so. Yeah. So like, let's just be really, really nice to ourselves. And it's like, if we have the thought, maybe you could just be like, you know what? I'll do some parts work with that later. Now is not really the time for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet there are times when it is appropriate to to bring stuff like that up as an issue because I'm thinking about my relationship with my wife when we first met. um, She told me about her background that she had experienced anorexia Oh, and and she considered herself still to be in recovery. I can tell you quite honestly, there is absolutely not a shadow of a doubt that she is out of recovery, but we'll put that (laughs) aside for a moment. The main thing is she felt like she needed to tell me about it. And since she's also a former psychotherapist at the time, she was a psychotherapist. I felt like I really, really had to listen. And it's, it's an interesting tightrope to walk because Mm -hmm. as far as I was concerned, she was fine. Right. But I also wanted to respect how she was feeling about it. Mm -hmm. 
That sounds like a beautiful way to walk the line to me. It was the only, because, it was the only way I could think of to do it, to be honest. Because <laughs> we can't convince someone to feel differently about themselves, you know? Like, that's really the other person's work to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they might be kind of digging for a compliment mm-hmm. or validation. And so we don't want to be, like, a jerk about it. But personally, like, I might say, like, I think you look good. I don't really – let's let's not focus on this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but – or – It depends on the context. If you're in a longer term relationship, then it might be like, okay, how can I support you with this? You know, um, it's important not to get codependent with it, uh, you know, and take responsibility, but to just kind of, you know, listen, be a witness. Um, one of the things I've learned working with body image over the years is it has nothing to do with what the person looks like, you know, and I've heard people say fat is not a feeling. And I kind of feel like the reverse, Mm. like fat. Fat is not based on fat. Fat is a mental state. <laughs> when someone's like, oh, my God, I'm so fat today or I feel so fat today, it has, like, almost nothing to do with their body and just everything to do with their thoughts and emotions. Well, it's appropriate. I also, when, agree. When, yeah. when you think in terms of, of how dietitians, not so much dietitians, but people interested in weight loss, mm-hmm. focus on they focus on not eating fat, which has absolutely nothing to do with being fat. So why not also have a factor where, you know, fat itself is not even part of the conversation. It's just, you know, yeah. it's like everything is disconnected from itself. Right. But I think it's like when, when my clients start like working out or eating well, even before they've like lost any weight or really changed anything noticeable at all about their body, and they'll even admit this, they start feeling better. And mm-hmm. I think it's because they start talking to themselves a little bit differently and they start mm-hmm. feeling maybe a little bit sense. proud of their, their behavior and their actions and they're showing up for themselves, you know, depends if it's in a kind changed. way. Their yeah. energy's totally changed. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess I want people to know that too. Is like, you know, I, I've had clients who, you know, are thin and trim and obsessed over three pounds. And one of the fascinating concepts to me is like the moment before you step on the scale and the moment after you step on the scale, you know, it's like, you're literally the same person, like nothing has changed, but like how you feel could be drastically different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a fascinating concept to explore. So it could be like in your head, you're thinking, you know, your weight is a certain number and then you step on it, it's, you know, three pounds more. And you're like, oh my God, this is a terrible day. Nothing's working. You know, I can't control my body. I have no, and it's, we'd start telling ourselves all these messages and it's just, it's, it's fascinating. So I think to just start realizing like, huh, this is kind of just like a mind game. And what if I stop playing that mind game with myself? Mm -hmm. It's fascinating what we're attached to and then the meaning that we derive from it. Yeah. Um, I, I started like a weight loss journey Mm -hmm. last year. I just wanted to lose some weight, whatever Mm -hmm. I was going to do it. I was sick and tired of being where I was at. And I started doing Noom and tracking things and whatever. And they suggest that you weigh every single day. And that was the first thing that I noticed with how attached I was to the number and doing it every day and being mindful of all the things that I was saying to myself based on what that number was and the meaning that I was giving it. Yeah, uh, Having that awareness of those things really helped me detach from the actual number. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Not that yeah. I'm completely like, you know, healed from that. Cause I still yeah. on the scale and like, Whoa, okay. Right. But it's interesting how it's, it's all in the mind and it either makes yes. it better or vastly worse. Right. Whatever it is you're saying or the meanings that you're creating. Right. Then. Right. Yeah. And one of the things I've noticed for myself, cause you know, my weight's gone up and down over the years is, um, I could be the same number in the present moment, 
But if I'm on an upward gaining trajectory, I feel one way. But if I'm on a downward losing trajectory, I feel a totally different way, which I just think also is fascinating. So it's like in the moment, it might be the exact same number, but I have a completely different thought and feeling. Yeah. You know what? I, some, something similar happened to me. So I went on a crash diet for my 30th birthday. Fun. (laughs) And uh, it was really awful. Like I think I ate like 500 or 600 calories a day. I just treated my body like crap. And, and I lost weight very quickly within like 30 days. Mm. I was at my ideal weight. And what I've noticed having a new awareness is Mm -hmm. over the last year, I have arrived at Within five pounds of that weight. Oh. But I feel completely different. Oh my God, like, dude, I love this story. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just, it, I mean, even when I was at that weight when I was 30, I felt like I still wasn't good enough and I wasn't right. you know, thin enough. And, and my friends were starting to tell me that I was getting too thin. And okay. that they were worried about me and probably because I lost the weight so quickly. Yeah. Um, but I felt... Like I felt good in those moments, but I still felt like I was fat. And then, yes. you know, being within five pounds of that weight now, I feel I look completely different. It sits completely different. And and it just the whole experience is different, even though there's a five pound difference. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's all in the mind. <laughs> it is. And I mean, I think like, you know, yeah, law of attraction wise, it's like the energy that you bring to something yeah. creates whatever you manifest. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I feel you're bringing a healthier, peaceful energy where you're coming from a place of self-care versus like self, you know, recrimination or punishment. Yeah. It's like, that's so d- drastically different. So that's something I work with my clients on is like, yes, have whatever goals you want to have for your fitness and health. I'm not saying like, don't try to be healthy or something, but like, where is it coming from? Is it coming from I'm unacceptable as I am? Or is it coming from I'm worth putting time and energy into? Mm. Well, that was the big value I thought in what you were talking about a moment ago, Jody, when you talked about uh, doing the mirror work naked. Mm-hmm. I, I, I actually have done mirror, mirror work, and I've even told stories about the mirror work. I almost never do it naked. I even try. I ought to try that just to see what kind Report of report back. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I just remember from the. I, I love telling this story, but the first time I tried it, not naked, just looking in the mirror into my own face, my, my session went very much like this. I love you. Oh God, I can't do this. That was my <laughs> Like one eye open. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which really goes to illustrate that it really isn't the body. It yeah. really isn't any of that stuff. It's how we Mm-mm. feel about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Totally. I love that. I did some mirror work that was really interesting. And it wasn't body specific, but it was, um, I think it was maybe more emotional. Just like, what would I want someone else to tell me? Like kind of almost, Ooh, I really sometimes cool. think if there was like a fairy godmother and she could just fix anything or do anything or say anything and it would be like the perfect thing. What would she say? And I wrote it down and then I read it to myself in the mirror and like, I was crying like a baby. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to try that one. Yeah. And like kind of like looking in your own eyes in the mirror and doing it. So that, that was an intense one. Highly recommend. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to mirror, I'm trying to marry that one with doing it naked. And it's like, my brain just won't go there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Maybe try it first. I think I'll try it one. Yeah. First clothes. Yeah. yeah. Then try it naked yeah. if you feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you could just start with the top half naked and right, then right. graduate the next day. Yeah. Or there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave me alone. <laughs> Need the bathroom. <laughs> So funny. Meanwhile, right. my face is looking at me and saying, "Look, I have enough to deal with here. You go out deal with the rest of it. Come on, give me a break here." <laughs> 
Oh, funny. Um, I have a question about sex. Yeah, please. What is between your clients that are coming in to talk about relationships? I don't know if like the husband and wife or, you know, the whole couple comes in or a part of the couple comes in. Could be either way. Both. Um, what is their like most common frustration or complaint or thing that they're looking for guidance with? You know, it's interesting because when I picked this niche of sex therapy, I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be pigeonholed, you know? And now that I've gotten into it, like there's so much within sex therapy. So with couples, I tend to work with a lot of um, low desire or just like difference in libidos. Um, Or I work with people who want to open their marriages typically. Those, Those tend to be... And communication issues. I mean, there's always communication issues. And some of that comes from, you know, maybe someone grew up more conservative and doesn't feel comfortable talking about sex, but they kind of know they need to. So they're pushing their themselves and coming to see me. Um, so that's with couples. And then individuals, it can really be like a gamut, you know? So like I've had people come in wanting to discuss like their sexual orientation. Uh, you know, maybe they're attracted to people of the same gender. Maybe they're attracted to people who are transgender or non-binary and they're like not hundred percent comfortable with it. Um, maybe they're looking to change their own gender and they want some support, maybe bring their partner in once in a while. Um, <clears throat> or not change their gender. I should say like transition their gender to the gender that actually feels in alignment for them. Um, and then sometimes there's like betrayals with couples, but then usually that winds up leading to the lack of sex, you know, so it still kind of goes back to that. Uh, I do have people who are exploring, you know, kink and fetishes and, um, non-monogamy as a single person and just kind of figuring out like, okay, I haven't really done this. Like, how do I navigate this? Um, and then I do get some people who... Uh, you know, maybe are dating and, and having lots of sex, but then feeling kind of guilty about it. Um, or, you know, I've ha- worked with people who are, you know, either from like conservative, you know, Christian, um, maybe Mormon backgrounds and, you know, kind of starting to free themselves from some of the sex negative messaging, uh, from religion. So there's a lot of different things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I would yeah. think it'd be almost unlimited, to be honest. I mean, I, I can't imagine, again, yeah. coming from the baby boomer perspective, I I can remember when Masters and Johnson couldn't even be discussed in private yes. with people. You couldn't even talk about it. It wasn't even allowed in the conversation. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not like, it's not like you were told, don't talk about that. It's just yeah. that if you tried to, you know, you'd be shunned. No, no one would pay any attention to you. I know. And, and yeah. I, I also think about how... A lot of stuff, this is something we've talked about in other contexts here on the show. A lot of things happen generationally that get passed along. Yes, and absolutely. And we, still, and we still don't really totally grasp how they get passed along, but they do. I've experienced it myself in, just with economics. Um, mm. And I think about, okay, all this, the sexual mores, if you can call them that, when I was growing up, how are they affecting not only me, but generations that have come after me? It's a really I, good I, question. I, I just, I just think it's, it's, it's very likely that it's affecting people who are, you know, Gen X or millennial mm-hmm. or Gen Z or whatever in ways that they don't even know. Right. A hundred percent. And I, I mean, that's part of why I love my job too, because 
I do think that people who are willing to come see a coach or therapist are the ones who are willing to kind of do the healing work of mm-hmm. the generations. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of like, all right, the buck stops here, basically. <laughs> like, I'm going to do the healing work. Let's change this moving forward so I'm not passing stuff down to my mm-hmm. kids that um, that doesn't feel good. So I, I love that. You know, it's it's not easy to face things head on and do the inner work. Um, it certainly helps to have support, but it, it's super rewarding, you know, um, to see people reconnect with their partners and feel more accepting and freer in their own sexuality and who they are and to be able to communicate that and have more pleasure and intimacy in their lives. Like it's just, it's super rewarding. I love it. Yeah, wow. I, I can, I could see it would be. And, and yeah. this is obviously, a, to me anyway, it's obvious. It, this is a topic that is endless. There, totally there really endless. Are, there, there are no, there are no boundaries on this. I mean, there are boundaries. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but there are no boundaries <laughs> of inspiration. Yeah. Right. Right. But you're, but you're right. I think like some of the things that have been passed down, um, from generations are about like, you know, we're not supposed to talk about sex. We're just kind of supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, consent is a big one that I think we still mm-hmm. have a lot of work to do. Um, I am one of the sex and relationship experts for the, uh, peanut app. And so I do like a weekly free pod on there. So if anyone wants to come ask, what is that? The peanut app? Yeah. It's so app of, uh, like 2.5 million women are on there and it started Mm -hmm. out as like new moms, but now they've expanded to like women at all stages of life, you know, through menopause and beyond. And, um, Yeah. So people can come and it's sort of like a clubhouse type of thing. I don't know if you're familiar with the clubhouse app, but it's sort of like an audio thing. So I host like a pod. It's not recorded. So people can feel comfortable like speaking freely. No one's going to like see or listen to it afterwards. Um, And so people are pretty open, you know, and so I get a lot of interesting questions and I hear a lot about, um, you know, most of the people in there who have identified their sexuality have, well, definitely some bisexual people in there have talked about bringing in a third person uh, who's a woman, but also people who, um, most people are married to a man in there. So people will talk about their husbands and um, feeling kind of pressured or, or coerced at times with sex. And, oh, wow. you know, yeah. And that's something that, um, couples I've worked with, the guys have actually been open about that. Like, yeah, I was coercive and I know I shouldn't have been, or, you know, yeah, I was, I was kind of pressuring. Um, so that's been, you know, eye opening for me, just that like, you know, what, what women kind of put up with, what guys do. And I think it's because we don't talk about it. You Mm -hmm. know, I think that guys are in a position where they're kind of like, I don't know how to get my needs met and I'm like trying to communicate it, but I like maybe don't have the ways or words to do it kind of like quote unquote the right way. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, women sometimes feel an obligation, you know, that's, that's another gender difference, Jody, uh, to speak to your earlier question. Um, women sometimes feel an obligation to, you know, like, oh, okay, well, like we're married and I'm like supposed to satisfy his sexual needs, even though I'm like not really feeling it right now. Mm-hmm. So, so that's something that I'm like wanting to to help to undo as well, where like people can just have conversations and, you know, and certainly sometimes in, in a hetero relationship, the, the woman's the one with the much higher sex drive, like that happens as well. Uh, but it can be tough to navigate, you know, like how do you get your needs met? How do you not feel kind of bad or guilty if you're the one with the lower, you know, drive? Um, 
how do you avoid getting into a situation where it feels like a chore or it feels pressury, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, there's a lot there. It's, yeah. You know, Walt said, you know. Yeah. Uh, no bounds. <laughs> yeah. It is. It, yeah. Wow. But yeah, I think there's, I think that I do think the patriarchy has like influenced a lot of this, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, where, yeah, women are less comfortable with, you know, genitals. Women think it's more for men. Um, Men tend to be the people who pay for porn. And so the porn industry, which is meant as entertainment, not as education, um, tends to cater more towards men. So a lot more blowjobs are shown rather than, you know, men going down on women. And, you know, the orgasms are, like, super unrealistic. <laughs> um, and yep. so not all the time, but, you know, there's a lot more <laughs> unrealistic orgasms. There's kind of a – there's still a belief that women should be able to orgasm vaginally without clitoral stimulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty rarely the case. Like, certainly that's possible for some people. It depends a lot on, you know, anatomy. Um but yeah, I had a question recently on the on the peanut pod about uh, you know, I want to have a real orgasm or a regular orgasm. Mm. And I'm like, the regular one is with the clitoris. <laughs> I'm like, well, let's just not get it twisted there. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I think I think that type of education it's like, how are people supposed to know this? Yeah. Certainly this is not taught in sex ed. No. Certainly this is not taught, you know, taught through churches in the the family education nope. section or whatever. Yeah, you're not having this conversation with mom. Right. Yeah. Which is odd because that's what the, the, the original stereotype was. You know, the parents sit down and have the talk with you. They never did. Oh my God. I didn't get, you know, it's so interesting. So like my, my mom is less comfortable. I'm like forcing her to get more comfortable now that I'm a sex therapist. (laughs) Um, but when I first told her I was becoming a sex therapist, she was like, Oh, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Just the support you want to hear from your mom. I love that. That's great. she's like, you know, it is good. And I'm realizing it is important to talk about it. And, you know, her and her, her friends and I had a great conversation, but, um, you know, I think we have to kind of give ourselves a chance almost like be a little uncomfortable for, for a while until it becomes more normal for us. Mm-hmm. Something else that occurs to me is, uh, again, this is something that I know from the baby boomer generation, although I think it's carrying on today, you've actually indirectly referenced it in some of the ways you've described some, uh, some of your clients. Uh, or at least referred to some of your clients, and that is uh, gender roles. Yeah, when I was when I was growing up, gender roles was a huge deal because it was right at the beginning of what I'll generically call the feminine revolution. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I was among those who was absolutely totally out of it. I had no idea what my role was. I had no idea mm. what women's role. What roles made no sense to me whatsoever for years. Interesting. For years. It yeah. sounds kind of like a good thing. Kinda. Because then was, you're like not. Confusing. You're not maybe following the social script as much, and you're actually just like I, I actually. Well, I was withdrawing more than anything else. Oh, there you go. Okay, so that's yeah. what you did. Yeah. Because I couldn't Mm -hmm. handle it. And that's, I mean, that's one area where I think that, you know, genderqueer people, there's not as much of a social script. And so I think there's a lot of wonderfulness, basically, Mm -hmm. that that comes with that, where it's kind of like, hey, this isn't as predefined for us. And we get to actually just, like, check in authentically and see, like, what works and just kind of be who we are and and figure it Mm -hmm. out as we go. And I think that that can be tougher like it's more work but i think you can kind of get to like a more aligned authentic 
place that way. And so I'm kind of hoping that, you know, people who are cisgender and identify as a gender they were assigned at birth or the sex they were assigned at birth, um, that they can also do that. You know, it's like, okay, so maybe here's some of what society is telling me. What if we throw all of that out the window and then just like start from scratch? Like Mm -hmm. what actually feels good and right? Well, and I think a lot of times when we're, well, I have felt anyway that, you know, that as a woman, I have assumed this is what my role is, or this is my job yes. as a wife or a partner yes. or whatever. And, and I had this big conversation <clears throat> with my husband because I felt overwhelmed with running businesses and the household and all of these things. And I started to feel angry <laughs> and resentful. And, you know, I'm very, um, I, I, look towards myself and I reflect on what am I feeling and why am I feeling it? And yeah. it came down to this boiling point of, you know, because I have all of these things that I have to do. And it was the question of who says that I have to do them? Well, I have to do them right. to be a good wife or a good partner yep. to, to my husband. And, and I, you know, got the courage to ask my husband, you know, what do you expect of me? And that was a really hard conversation. <laughs> Luckily my husband, you know, he loves to have conversations like that with me. That's awesome. And what he said was nothing, you know, <laughs> I, I said nothing. I want you to be happy. What makes you happy? Oh my and God, I, he sounds like such good. a good husband. Such a great husband. But that's, it goes right back to communication and what we're assuming about our partner. And like, you, you get married and you're supposed to know all of these things. Yes. So they, yes. Um, you know, even if you've been, you know, living with somebody for quite some time, We just Mm -hmm. don't take the time to have this conversation. What do you want your marriage to be like? What do you want your household to be like? Right. For me and Nate, it flips. Like in the winter, he's got more time. So he helps do more dinners and clean and stuff like that. And in the summer, that's kind of more my role. But since that conversation, I've been able to take the pressure off of myself and not feel so bad when I'm exhausted and say, you know, like we're having peanut butter sandwiches. (laughs) We're having eggs (laughs) and bacon. Like I just don't have the capacity to make you anything more than that. So if you want something else, you can make it yourself. But before him... I always tried to keep up to all my the men in my life. Like mm-hmm. I had a very, I don't know, wounded version of women. Like I looked at women as weaker and and judged myself for being weaker and wishing that I could be more like a man because I grew up in a male dominated industry and I was trying so hard to be like a man. And, and I did that with my relationships too, trying to keep up, you know, my dad, you know, all relationships, my dad is very like, go, go, go all the time. Mm -hmm. He's always doing something. And I always felt guilty. And my husband is very similar to my dad where he's Mm -hmm. always doing something. So I started to feel that guilt pattern come back up of like, oh no, I have to be doing something. Like I shouldn't just be relaxing and watching TV. And that has taken a lot to reprogram within myself and allow it, uh, allow myself the space to do what I need to do to feel good. I love that. And I'm so, thank you for sharing that. Like, I think that's important for so many people to hear, you know, that, yeah, I think there's been a lot of, um, I don't know if I should say canceling, but like bulldozing of feminine energy, Yes, <laughs> you know, and I'm saying energy, not just women in general, cause we all have mm-hmm. feminine energy, we have, but we have a very like hyper action oriented society mm. that can get yeah. into that, like more toxic imbalance, masculine energy. 
Mm-hmm. And I know that I certainly feel it. So I appreciate you mentioning it. You know, I know that it's easy to be like, I just have to work harder. I just have to do more things. You know, I have to yeah. be good enough and prove that through action. Um, so I, th- I actually do think what you just said really carries a message of worth and, and good enough, you know, that I think is a core wound for most of us on some level the world yeah really no. just the world yeah yeah because it's not just women i mean men feel it too. No. Men, feel, men feel well we, we were the we're the bread givers we're the ones who have right. to go out and we, we have to do i still experience that i yeah. i deal with that on a on a almost a daily basis not quite yeah we're just trying to give myself a little slack and say hey it's not all on you don't treat yourself like it's all on you for goodness sake you're, and like this, these gender roles are fascinating when it comes to sex too. And like initiating, cause there's often the idea of like, well, the man's supposed to initiate and the man's supposed to have a higher sex drive. And often that's not the case. I mean, honestly, from what I, it's like pretty 50, 50, mm-hmm. you know? And I, so I think there's like a lot of misunderstandings and assumptions around that. And then there's, you know, some women that are kind of like, Oh, that's like bad. Or I'm like, if I have to initiate more, and there's some people who don't care, you know, but yeah. I do think that some of the ways we've internalized gender roles can get in the way with initiating mm-hmm. and uh, sex drive for sure. Yeah. Even turning it down, you know, yes. I, I, I have thought it's okay for my husband to turn it down or it's okay. It's not okay for me to say no. I have thought that before oh. in relationships. Like if, if it's requested, I should, I should be a good little housewife and and give it those aren't the exact words that go through my right. mind but i have given right. myself up after declining and now that you you were talking about these rules i just realized that i've never been like mad at him for declining i'm only mad at myself that when i have so declined interesting. which is that's crap yeah <laughs> It is crap, but it's like, we all have our own stories. And so I think kind of the, the personal growth work of, you know, sex coaching or therapy is to figure out which stories do you have? Yeah. So it sounds like you have the one of kind of like, I need to be like the people pleaser. I need to satisfy his needs and be the good housewife. Other yeah. people might have the story of men are supposed to always want sex. He should never say no. You know, yeah. well, like everyone's got different stories and we just got to figure them out and then decide if they're working for us or not. Hmm. Do you find though that, or, or how would you suggest having those kind of conversations without like getting into a fight? Because it is very sensitive. And you know, yeah. if, if I was to say to my husband, I want to have more sex, he might take it negatively. Like I'm upset with our sex life and that's yeah. not necessarily the case at all. I mean, I'd just like more of it. I don't know. I think how you just said that actually is great. I'm not upset at all. I kind of just want more. Like this is, this is kind of doing it for me. Can we do more, can we do more of this? That'd so be just amazing. communicate that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's one of the most funny things for me is like when clients ask me stuff, kind of like you just did of like, well, I just don't know how to say blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you literally just said it perfect. <laughs> I'm like, maybe the key is pretend you're talking to me because I think, I think when they imagine talking to their actual partner, there's like a whole series of like thoughts and emotions that then get them in a weird headspace. Yeah. But when they're talking to me, they're like comfortable and they're free and they're just like saying it calmly and they're not like riled up and, and then it works perfectly. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's one technique, you know, pretend you're saying it to like a neutral third party and just talking about it. Um, 
I tend to bring things up in sort of like uh, a cutesy way sometimes or like sometimes try and use a little humor. Um, I, al- I also am a fan of like the compliment sandwich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> compliment yes. sandwich. Okay, like, compliment, if you, if you have like a piece of like feedback yeah. of like constructive feedback in there to be like, um, you seriously look so amazing with your shirt off. Um, I would love if you did oral sex with me a little bit longer <laughs> and you know, that technique you used on whatever was amazing last time, you know? So it's like, you're kind of like sandwiching the feedback in between some compliments. They have to be sincere and you have to like, you know, flow probably a little bit better depending on the conversation, but it depends on your partner too. You know, some partners, it's like, you could just be super direct and they're not going to take it personally. Some partners are going to be like real sensitive and they're like, oh my God, you're criticizing my sex skills. And then they feel like terrible and cringy. Um, And so I think it's that balance between like, okay, you want to take into consideration your partner's style without getting into codependent territory where you're trying to like manage their emotions for them. So it's like, be considerate, say things Mm -hmm. in a nice way. But realize, like, your partner's reaction is your partner's reaction, you know? And I I had a an ex-boyfriend who had to tell me at one point, you know, like, it's kind of hard to bring things up to you because you're so sensitive. And I was like, oh. And then I was like, I don't want you to not be able to bring things up. And so then that was an area I kind of had to work on. And I think that relationship helped me get much better at taking feedback. And so I would say, if you're the one receiving the feedback – just realize like this is not a reflection on your character. This is not a reflection on your worth. This is actually how you get to a stronger relationship. Mm-hmm. And if your partner wasn't invested in having an even hotter sex life and an even stronger connection, they wouldn't even be telling you this. So That's so you know. true. And it's so interesting how we take everything. And I mean this as a blanket for pretty much the entire world of people <laughs> um, that we take everything so personal to like a I soul know. level. I am good or I am bad. If somebody makes a suggestion or yes. tells me something, we, we get cut so deeply and it has nothing to do with that. It's the opposite. They want to have, you know, whether it's more sex or more conversation or more whatever, they're trying to connect with you on a deeper level and get more of what they need and want, which has nothing to do with you being good or bad. <laughs> which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Really. It is. Like the way you just said that, I'm like, yes, that's great. Mm. Um, and what, one of the books I like to recommend for that is uh, The Four Agreements um, by mm. Don Miguel Ruiz. So he has a whole chapter on don't take anything personally. And I read that many years ago. But when I first read that, I was like this radical, I'm like, what do you mean? Some things are personal. Like, I don't even get this, <laughs> you know? So it took a bit to wrap my head around it. And now like, that's something I work on with my clients all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, your partner's reaction is about them. That's about their thought model. That's about what are they thinking and how is that creating the ways they're feeling? And then how does that lead into the ways they behave? You know, mm-hmm. and that actually has nothing to do with you. Like you could have a hundred different partners. They're all going to react differently. Yeah. You know, and so then I think we start to realize like, oh, maybe it really doesn't. Maybe that's just about them and I can let them handle their own stuff and I can focus on mine. Yeah. One thing we haven't touched on yet is people who are in relationships, committed relationships, but they've lost interest in sex. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a real big one. Well, (laughs) the way you say Um, that, it's it's almost common. That's probably the most common 
Is it really? Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. For couples, it's either like the, the lack of sex or opening the marriage are kind of the two things I get. So the, the lack of sex one, um, there's so many reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And so it can be helpful to have a professional, like, you know, working with you to figure that out. Um, it can be hormonal. It can be past traumas. It can be thoughts and beliefs that are almost like hidden or subconscious about mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm too old for sex. People of my age are not supposed to have sex mm-hmm. or, you know, sex is only supposed to be for procreation or, you know, I had my uterus out and now I just don't feel like as much of a woman and people might not realize that or you know, there's some kind of grief in the relationship that I haven't processed, or there's some kind of betrayal that I like actually never healed from, from years ago. So there's, you know, it's, it's interesting because like when I tell people I'm a sex therapist, they're like, Ooh, salacious. And you talk about like all all of the kinky things. I'm like, yes. And Mm. (laughs) yeah, I totally thought of that movie, meet the Fockers, Uh, the mother or whatever. She's like on the wedges. and That's exactly what I had. But it's like, you know, you went up through a lot of deep healing work and like deep emotional work that kind of goes with sex. And I think sex is naturally so holistic. It's like a very like mind, body, spirit thing. And so it kind of, you know, before being a sex therapist, um, you know, I've I've gotten to be like a Shambhala meditation guide and a holistic health coach. And so I kind of come from a very holistic background. But that's I think that's part of why sex is fascinating, because it's kind of like never just about sex. It's never just about the act Mm. of sex. There's always Mm -hmm. a lot of layers to it. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, there's layers to all different aspects of of the human psyche of, of the way we, we live our lives. I mean, our lives are layered. We don't often think of it that way, but our lives themselves are layered and those layers can be, they can be daunting. They, they can really, you can get pretty messed up. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We're good at that. (laughs) We make everything complicated. It's our (laughs) We kind of do, huh? Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, it's good to laugh at it, though, you know? So it's like, yeah, for people listening, like, it's okay. It's okay if you're a little mm. complex. It's okay if you have contradictory thoughts and parts. It's like, we all do, you know? Yeah. Perfection is not real. And it's. I think that this is the beauty of the journey. Like, this is mm. what you're supposed to experience because it's not just about sex. Or you could say that about multiple different things. There's so much within it. And yes. that is the the juiciness. And until you yes. tap into that, you're not really living. I you love that. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that's what I want for people is to kind of like tap into the juiciness. It's like when we do some of the deeper work to free up our minds and get comfortable with our bodies, it's like then we can like really freely explore, you know, fantasies and ways to connect in different aspects of our, ourselves and how we want to express our sexuality. You know, mm-hmm. like there's, I think there's a lot of layers to it that um, is a society we're not really tapping into yet. And I want to help people tap into that. That's beautiful. We're, we're nearing the end here of a really fascinating conversation. And I'm realizing this is the time when I always have to say, Hey, we can't let you go yet. We got to get some information from you. We got to find out more. We got to find out more for, for anyone who's interested, how they reach out to you. How do they learn more about themselves? How do they learn? What, what, what can they do to, to further their own journey? 
Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah. So I think we mentioned some things today, right, that people can do to kind of work with their parts or do the mirror work or check out some books. But um, if people are curious about working with me, they can check out my website. It's just my name, heathershannon.co. So it's not a .com. It's just .co. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have a freebies page on there. So if they mm-hmm. are interested, I have a sex for empaths checklist. Um, and really Sex whether empaths. I know so people who are like energetically sensitive or, hmm. you know, maybe feel like they pick up on other people's vibes really easily. Um, you know, have to be a little more mindful, I think, with sex. But I actually used it with a client this morning because I think it's actually just a great list for everybody. Um, you know, I'm very non-judgmental. I'm like, I don't care if you've had sex with a hundred people this week. You know what I mean? It's just like, is it working for you? It's <laughs> kind of the question. Mm. Um, and so the list helps people figure out, like, is this working for you? Like, are you kind of owning your own sexual journey or are you trying to, like, outsource your validation to somebody and you're using sex that way? Wow. You know, are you caring enough about the other person's joy and pleasure or are you just, like, in it for yourself? Or do they care about yours? Can you talk about safety? Are you clear with, like, how important that stuff is to you? Like, you know, pregnancy or STIs or whatever it may be. Um, and so the list kind of helps people have, keep their heads straight with that. So, um, so that's a free resource. Uh, if they want to check that out, I also have a Mojo Magic guidebook. It's like eight or nine pages, not super long, but if you're struggling with libido, which we know a lot of people are, uh, it's complex. And so before becoming a sex therapist, I had no clue. (laughs) Like, I don't know. What do you do? Um, So it it at least gives people a place to start with like, okay, you know what? I relate to some of these issues that might be the causes. And I haven't really tried some of these things that might be the solution. So, you know, that can impact marriages and relationships a lot. And so that can be an important one just to get started on. Yeah. Yeah, So both of those are there. HeatherShannon.co forward slash freebies. We'll make sure we get a, a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank so we'll, you. we'll make it easy for somebody who wants to explore a little bit further yeah. this, this untouchable realm. Oh my I God. know. Right. It's like not so untouchable anymore. It's okay. Not so, not so untouchable. That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. So, so Jody, I got to ask you. I mean, we, we always talk about how we have these really interesting conversations. How'd we do today? Oh, awesome. I, <laughs> I could think of two reasons why people have sex problems, libido and sexual trauma. And yeah. it opened up my eyes to, you know, how, how big and complex this conversation is and, and really going the next layer deeper, mm-hmm. not just about the sex. So thank you for that, Heather Shannon. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, no. Jody. Thank you very much. And also, uh, th- this is something I- I'm making this a point of doing this with, with guest after guest because I'm realizing this is vitally important. Thank you on behalf of the people you have helped over the years who have never met you, who have never seen you. They've just read something. They saw something. And you'll never know how you helped them. But you help them. Thank you. So on behalf of those people, thank you for what you do. Appreciate that, Walt. It's so sweet. I'm getting a little emotional over here. I know. Me too. We don't recognize that enough. That's why I'm making this a point to do this with guests from now on. And I've been doing this for about a month now. And it really pays off because we don't get that recognition. It's It's important recognition. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, the work you yeah. guys are doing as a podcast host, yeah, like, sure. most people, some people might leave a review or reach out to you, but most of them won't. Most and of them won't. I know it's fat, but you're still helping them. It's so cool. 
So mm-hmm. that's why I want, on, on their behalf, I want to thank everybody who's helping them. And thank you're you. definitely one of those people. So thank yeah. you. Very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for sharing your story and, and your, your interesting observations. So this has been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I know it's been really fun talking to both of you too. And I appreciate your observations as well. Very good. We love that. So thank you much. Thank you, live streamers. Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.